Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Good morning. This We told you it was going to be different, and we're very, very excited here. Uh, we're going to go through Just Jesus stories. Whenever I asked for a vote, it really was nearly unanimous to go for Just Jesus stories. Well, I've done those a lot, and I love doing them. They're my favorite thing, but we have a wonderful resource at our safe harbor who uh, walked in one day several months ago, and we fell in love with him. And I hope he fell in love back, but he's trapped no matter what. We've got him now. But Dr. Rick Hunter has been a voice around the African-American churches for decades and decades. And he has all the training that I don't have in theology and ministry and such. I come at this as a scientist wrestling with God. He will come at it from a different angle. We said, why don't we do this together? So our lessons are going to be more of a conversation, uh, and you, I hope that you join in the conversation. Check in, hit subscribe, share this, uh, hit the bell so you'll know when another one's coming. We're going to record these ahead of time, but your comments will help shape where we go next and any changes we might need to make. So welcome, uh, Dr. Rick Hunter. Now, because we're friends... Uh, we're just going to call each other Rick and Patrick. Good. Uh, because although I have doctorates, they're not in this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so at this table, I'm just Patrick. Uh, but lovely, welcome. Uh, it's good to have you. And, oh, I for, almost forgot. Be prepared because our safe harbor is going to back and start a channel for Dr. Hunter just to, uh, to do his own thing. And we're going to link it to everything and we want you to subscribe to it. So watch for that. I think that'll be very, very cool. That's good. All right. Well, welcome. We're going to start with the book of Mark. I think, uh, generally speaking, that's considered the first gospel. Am I right on that? You're right. Okay. Um, here's what I've heard, and then I want you to jump in there. I've heard that there is posited a document we no longer have called Q for the German word Kel. And I think that means source. Source. It's okay. And the reason they think there's that way is because Matthew, Mark, and Luke are so similar. I would submit that there is almost as many differences as similarities, but I, I get what they're saying. Uh, we call those the synoptic gospels. And then John seems to cover the territory that the others didn't cover. And he does it more spiritualized, you know, light versus darkness. Uh, all the miracles are creative. But Mark... The traditional view is that it was written by John Mark, who we do see in the New Testament, in Paul's favor and out of Paul's favor. John Mark came from a very, very, very wealthy family, North Africa. Um, they had lots of territory in North Africa, but also homes in, in Jerusalem. And so you'll hear in the New Testament where the church met in the house of John Mark's mother. So they had some money. They had some influence but they were people of faith. And again, the traditional is that John Mark is not writing his gospel, 
but he's writing down Peter's sermons. You want to fill in any gaps or, or make any changes with that at all? I, we're right on point with what I understand uh, Mark to be about. The, the synoptic problem, um, I think, is more of an academic problem than it is a lay person living out Mark and getting the best from it challenge. That's a good point. Uh, um, it, because behind closed doors, they always arguing about writers, and, and that's particularly important because there were some spurious writings that were starting to mm -hmm. show up. And, uh, and then that lets us know that at least even then, they were still concerned about, okay, where did this come from and how do we have it? And so you get the synoptic, and with that one, Mark almost assuredly had to be the first one out because it was written most likely somewhere in the 50 AD-ish range mm -hmm. because of historical things that are mentioned in the book. Uh, Matthew, uh, Luke come after that because of historical things coming out. But the interesting thing that you write up is that there are as many dissimilarities as there are because Matthew diverges from Mark in a way. Luke diverges at certain points in another way. Uh, Mark is the short, stays really short and to the point. Matthew's narratives are normally longer, uh, so are Luke's. One key thing I, I think I would love for the audience to grab a hold of is the fact that most likely this is going to the Romans, which means this is a Gentile audience, which means as okay. we're looking at uh, our Safe Harvest message, as we're looking at how this thing is covering the globe, we're actually sitting at a kind of a same apex as this because now this is branching out. He doesn't talk about many of the particularities that are important to the Jewish faith like Matthew does mm -hmm. because he's not concerned about that part of it. He's only concerned about what Jesus looks like to a world in front of them, a whole world in front of them, everybody that's in front of them. And so, um, and that is, I think, the critical, uh, critically important part is that he's looking at, at Rome and the Gentiles and how these people who didn't have a prior relationship or understanding of Jehovah um, or of God to be able to now see in, see themselves inside of God's story. That's, that's very clear. fascinating. Now, I've already learned something because, um, and, but what you're saying is correct because as soon as you said it, I ran Mark through the, the old computer and he doesn't speak of Jewish distinctives. Matthew does, as you're saying. Mm -hmm. In Matthew, the priest describes all of them have major roles. Um, and that surprises me because I think I've always simplistically thought of Peter as being an apostle to the Jews and Paul to the Gentiles. But you're, <laughs> you are correct that this is a Gentile-sounding book. Well, hang on, guys, five minutes in. I'm, I'm learning. This is good. This is good. Anything, any follow-up before we want to get into text? Um, no, I'm good. Okay. Listen. Now, I see you've got two out. Uh, what versions are you looking through? Uh, um, I, am, I have a study Bible, one that I, that I keep. Both of them are um, the New King James Version. Okay. And so that you, you, if you have that one on your phone, your app that you're looking at, and I'm not sure what version are you? I'm using the NIV, the, the 2011, 11. you know, the updated to, uh, NIV. Yeah. I, I think, okay, so that 
gives you kind of a way to follow me if when I start reading mm -hmm. and start reading. Um, and the reason that King James is pretty much is at the back door of everything. The new King James Version uh, updated it. Mm -hmm. But the reason that I go this way and everybody goes the way they need to sure. go is because the King James Version is still the most popular selling version in the world. This stays close enough to it so that when I'm talking to an audience anywhere at any point in time, most likely they can come pretty close to where I'm talking. But academically, when you're studying, the books that are in front of me uh, are the, the ASV and its new contemporary version. Yes. You know, and the NIV, okay. because it starts painting pictures. Uh, the NIV does a good job of painting a picture of a text um, where the American Standard Version and others, they do a better job at giving a word-by-word -word translation. That's yeah. why they're hard to read yeah. and hard to follow. Yeah, and, and yes, sorry. Um, I grew up with the American Standard Version of 1901 <laughs> or the King James Version. Those are the only accepted mm -hmm. ones. Well, the American Standard Version of 1901 is a brilliant translation of a bad text. And so he's speaking of the New American Standard Version. And the American Standard Version loves verbs. And they will, they will absolutely shall have been given, you know, mm -hmm. in, instead of was given. And they nail the verbs. Does make it harder to, it doesn't flow. Mm -hmm. It doesn't flow. But you should have one. Uh, the New Revised Standard Version is trying that as well. And what he was talking about there, uh, the terms, instead of a word-for-word -word translation, which, by the way, you can never translate one language to another word-for-word. Word. Word. It does not work. Uh, I, I speak French and Gaelic and a few others, and it doesn't work. So they do the best they can. And the other version, the telling, making pictures, is called dynamic equivalence where we're not going to use the same words, but we're going to try to arrive at the same meaning in there. And it's hit and miss. Uh, I have arguments with the NIV in, in mm -hmm. places. The, the New King James Version, when it first came out, I wondered why. Because the Textus Receptus that they used for the King James has been updated massively by finding a bunch more manuscripts. Well, they do that. Mm -hmm. They bring that in. I think it's chief value, and I believe this is what you're saying, is that if a group is used to hearing the King James, they still get the lilt, the meter, and the pacing, mm -hmm. but they get it with a more accurate text. Is that? That's, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we start off as all good studies should do with Isaiah. <laughs> I love Isaiah. I was talking to a prisoner yesterday on death row in Louisiana, and I bet that guy's memorized Isaiah. Because every time I talk to him, he'll say, well, now in Isaiah, in a chapter here, and I believe it, and it, I always say, Bobby, quit saying believe, because every time you say it, it's there. Okay. Uh, he's, and I, I thought, what? What an amazing book for a prisoner to focus in on. But, um, all right, in the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. I'm going to stop there and ask any differences in the version that you want to point out. Uh, most of the time there won't be. I just want to make sure that there's not a, a critical point there. 
But while you're looking, the good news. A lot of our people have been hurt by churches. Um, Various churches, not one particular tribe. And whenever I go about on the Welcome Home Tour, I hear the stories of pain. And then I hear the stories of joy that they found this. I will confess to you that whenever they told me the gospel meant good news, I could never understand that as a boy because it felt like a heavy weight. It felt like a a, a big burden to be carried with all the rules. We stripped that away here at our safe harbor. We're just going to do the good news. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus' last name was not Christ. Christ is the the Greek form of Messiah. Messiah. Uh, Messiah means the anointed one. So in the very first line, this matches sermons that we did back in July. Uh, These will be recorded to be released later. Where we talk about Christ is our king. He's anointed. And that is very, very good news. And Isaiah had said that somebody would go ahead and break the ground so it would be ready for Jesus. And we're about to meet him. Uh, anything you want to add to that? The, um, right in the first four verses is a, is a key to, to Mark's writing it. Um, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, verse 1, Christ the Son of God, as is written in the prophets. He's going, he's going in in a way that if he was writing to a Jewish audience that was coming out of Judaism, that, that they were leading from Judaism to Christianity, uh, um, this would have been a whole different kind of introduction. He's, he's going right at people that don't have really a relationship, but telling them, this is how we got here. This is how this got to you. So people in the world today that are coming to faith or finding faith or around people who don't have faith and always trying to, how can you believe something like that? He's going right at it. How? He said, you don't pick this up with me. Mark is saying, pick this up where the beginning of it is with, with God and with what God is doing in us. And, um, and the prophet is the way to understand and probably a good reason why as you're talking to the prisoner and stuff, Isaiah keeps jumping out like that because you have first, second, third, Isaiah, the way the book is broken down and right. stuff like that. And, uh, and that was all about the justice of God, you know, and the, the well, justice okay. and love of God, what God was doing, not just across uh, ethnic lines or race lines, but across gender lines to, to, to bring this thing. That's really what he's pulling out here because eventually he jumps right into, this is how we get to God. This is how this whole thing looks a straight path without all of the, um, the emperor worship that had started to arise uh, and then other forms of trying to reach and, and, and commune with God, like some of the temple worship that, you know, that has right. started hanging around. So he's cutting right through all that at the beginning as if he's talking to people that haven't been on that path. Okay. So if, if I'm hearing you correctly then, this book may reveal to people like us in a post-Christian nation and show us what stories to tell and how to tell them to reach our neighbors. A little bit easier. Uh, um, okay. D- just like um, if, if we were starting out in, in Matthew, right in the beginning, we'd be picking up the <laughs> genealogies and stuff like that, yeah. you know, and, and they're fascinating too. Um, if you needed to deal with that, he doesn't need to deal with that because the people he's writing to don't have that baggage. 
people we're dealing with in the world today, their their baggage is not the genealogy. That's not their their yeah. thing. They don't need that in order to come to a Jesus, come to a God, you know, come to a creator of the world. What they need is how does this fit with what I see going on around me right now? How, how do we how, not rationalize? How do we make this fit and understand it to be true in the midst of a situation that looks and looks different and typical yeah. to what it is. Right. So how do we make this relevant, effective, um, useful mm-hmm. even? Okay. And by the way, I, it just hit me again. Thank you. Both Matthew and Luke do genealogical tables, but Mark does not. Mm. Okay. This is good. Do you want to read the next section? Just uh, starting at verse four and stop whenever you want to. Okay. Um, at verse 4 through verse 9 gives us the, the next context. Uh, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying... There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to stoop down and lose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Amazing stuff. Um, A wild man has shown up. And he would have looked wild because he took a Nazarite vow. So he had never had his hair cut. Mm -hmm. I assume that includes the beard. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I know it Almost does. Poor. Okay. Yeah, all facial hair. I'm always okay. Um, he eats rough stuff. And he's out there preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Which is interesting. Because we generally think that all started in Acts 2. But baptism was actually a, a normal part of their spiritual life. You had the mikvah. Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, or in plural mikvahut. Where... These were cut down, well, it varied. Around the temple, they were cut down into the rock. And there'd be steps going down into the water, and then steps coming up out of the water. And there'd be a bar across there to make sure you submerged yourself when you you came out through. And that was done ritualistically, and sometimes several times. Uh, It was done for forgiveness of sins, for rededication. But it was also done to announce your allegiance to, I think allegiance is the wrong word, um, a, a particular rabbi. If you're going to follow a rabbi, you were baptized to that rabbi. And so baptism was a lot bigger thing than I think we realize it was to them. We try to make it a point action thing where um, it's a transaction. You do this, God does that, then we're done. But this was more of an action of saying, you know, I've decided to follow or I have sinned and need to repent, and you'd hit the water. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you're, you're writing down. What we're doing is we're writing down stuff that we're thinking about. Mm-hmm. Share, share what you're thinking there. Or is that for future? Uh, no, it was, um, of course, Mark jumps right in, into baptism. And, and that is, depending on how you may have grown up in church, when you came to faith, what faith you grew up in, baptism is always a hot button issue, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, everywhere. And it'll probably remain that way. 
And um, but and what so one interesting thing is is that um, if, if we can if we can get better at at this thing of of the understanding of baptism and how it really follows, then we can take our human selves out of the role of being a gatekeeper yeah. to what to what God is doing and who God is calling and who are God's children. Right. If that if that yeah. makes sense. Uh, um, the more, um, and, and so um, you may have to come and, and kind of smooth it out because you you've been with the audience longer. You'll get used to me. And this, <laughs> but, but this, this when baptism has been used to tear up what God is trying to bring in in unity. That that unity of the Spirit in, in Ephesians that was God given. That wasn't something that we right. ever made ourselves. That was God. And so. When we make ourselves gatekeeper, or well, the way to make ourselves as a gatekeeper is to control how we work through this thing of baptism, and then depending on where we grew up, that is that may be the the person at the gate that says you don't have a relationship with God, but you're trying to figure out well then why am I thinking about God all the time? Why do I sense God's presence in my mm -hmm. life? Why am I changing things based on what I'm learning and, and, and that impact? And that kind of messes people up. And so what we ought to be about, what we are, are trying to be about, is to free people up in Christ so that they can get the full benefit of God working through them in this world. Mm -hmm. and, and as Mark brings up this thing of baptism here with, with John, it's interesting because this is really he's getting at what was a proselyte baptism that was direct that was uniquely for the Gentiles you don't have a history with with Christ or with God so therefore you were proselyte we're bringing you into the faith so you need to do it but here also he's implying that the Gen that the Jewish people also needed to go through this same thing. So a Jewish person, remember, they were arguing, I'm Abraham's seed. I'm, yeah. I'm in the family already. Yep. I've been grafted in, so I'm better than you all. Mm -hmm. oh, okay, I hope we're starting to see yourselves where you are in your chair and the audience <laughs> and stuff like that. And saying, wait a minute, okay, hold on, work, work with this a little bit more. And so therefore, I cannot stand in judgment on your relationship with God, and you can't my, and Mark here is, is literally, if, if we had the original Greek and we were reading these words in that language, then these nuances would be a lot clearer. We're reading it, as you mentioned, in English, and so we're kind of floating over the surface. And so he's telling, he's sending a message to any, any Jewish people that are listening that you need to go through this thing too. And a Jewish person would have heard, I'm not a proselyte, I am in the family. Just real quick, proselyte means <clears throat> a convert who's not a Jew who becomes a member of the Jewish community, Yes. right? So, or convert to Judaism. Uh, so you, you come from being a Gentile to being a Jew religiously. Uh, and so that's what a proselyte is. Yeah. And, and of course, and this is all moving them into the Christian thing, but it's a way of, of getting Jewish and Gentile people together at least on, on, on a first base or a home base. Does that make sense? Sure. To get them together. And so that's what he's talking about here. And so a, as a Jewish person would have heard this, they're thinking, well, wait a minute. But then for a Gentile who the Jews had constantly been telling, you are not us and you don't have what we have, Mark is saying they have it. Mm -hmm. And this is how we see it. 
Okay. okay. And, and so they, now the, the baptism that, the baptism was because of the faith that they had in their God. It wasn't their showing of it so that we all understand we're together because that's the only way sometimes we can understand if I'm talking to a Christian is what I see come out of you because right. I don't necessarily know what's in you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so he's kind of kind of going there. Okay. And I would just add one more thing. And the way it's expressed in, in verse five in the NIV, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. That's hyperbole. And yeah. I find great comfort in that. Uh, there's synecdoche and hyperbole in the Bible. Uh, synecdoche is when you speak a part, but you mean the whole. Hyperbole is when you overstate something to make a point, such as, you know, I've told my kid 10,000 times not to exaggerate. You know, uh, that's, that's hyperbole. The reason I want to bring that up is if this was written with every word dictated by God in a legalistic sense, then he would have to say 71% of, you know, of the adult population over 18. He'd have to be very detailed. But they use, the Bible is written in human language and they use language like we do. And so instead of digging in and trying to legalistically jump on a word, it's better to let them speak. For example, I think the big one, Jesus says three days and three nights in the tomb. Well, Friday to Sunday isn't literally according to a clock that. Mm -hmm. But we use that language, you know, we do it all the time. Nobody does anything all the time. You see that? That's hyperbole. And we'll say, I'll be down in a few minutes. That's an undetermined time. Or it's been three days since I saw Rick. Mm -hmm. Nobody's saying exactly 72 hours. So allow the book to read to you the way you use language too. And as soon as you start going through it like a lawyer, a red flag should be thrown, I think, because that's mm -hmm. not how it, it wasn't written it wasn't to written. lawyers. It was written to the general population. Okay. Um, the humility of John is amazing. Later, John's going to go through a faith crisis. Uh, it looks like he's going through a faith crisis. But right now, he is calling. He knows his cousin is coming. And now Jesus arrives at verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. I'll stop there. Nazareth was Hicksville. Uh, people from Nazareth were considered not to be intelligent enough to learn other languages. And they had an accent. You know, how many times did you, in the Bible, do you hear the apostles began to speak and they immediately knew they were ignorant and unlearned men <laughs> or that they had been with Jesus. It's um, Jesus redeems people from our prejudices. When we say that kind of person could never be anything, Jesus purposely was born to a not quite married woman and raised in Nazareth. God doesn't do things by accident. So, you know, people will talk about trailer park trash. They will talk, they'll say evil words about somebody because of skin color or because of culture. Jesus is going out of his way to show us, no, God, look where God brought him. You know, he, I, I love that. He was baptized by John in the Jordan. Uh, we know from the other gospels that John hesitated to baptize him. Mm -hmm. uh, but Jesus said to fulfill all righteousness. And I'm not sure I know all the depths of why he said that. 
But maybe we can get to that when we, when we keep okay, going yeah. through the others, unless you want to jump in with it. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And I really want to read verse 12, although it sounds like it's not linked, it is. At once, the spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. The reason I just want to bring that up, and then we can go back up and say anything you want to say about this. As soon as he was baptized, he was sent into the desert with the wild animals and Satan. Be aware, your declaration of allegiance to Jesus does not guarantee you an easy life. It might guarantee you the opposite. Remember, Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. As soon as he was baptized, the Spirit sent him to be tempted. I, um, I find that there's a richness there. There's a depth there that perhaps almost is reminiscent to the Psalms. Of, hey, Lord, I follow you. Why am I surrounded by my enemies? <laughs> Anything you want to? Um, that's, that's a good point and uh, an excellent observation of the text. And that's what in these studies, and that's literally as Christians, as a person learning of Christ, um, when we read the Bible, we have to read with observant eyes to kind of uh, observe the nuances of the text the hills the peaks and, and valleys because that's how we kind of fill in the cultural things that we don't quite understand or under, or understand there may be more something in in a verse um, than we're actually seeing as it reads to us in in english because even as we read this in english if you're reading the, the original language, uh, the verse would be backwards to actually to the way that we're reading it. You know, it's just written a different kind of way. So it has to all be adjusted, like you said, uh, and come out. But with, with, with this here, um, something comes to my mind as what you said. The, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, which is a, a foundational understanding, I think, to the reality that when you accept Christ as your Savior, when you move into that realm of living for Christ and dedicating to Him, this doesn't become a bed of roses. Right. Um, um, it's, it's everything isn't laid out. Uh, all your children, all, everybody in your family is not instantly healthy. Your money situation doesn't clear up and get better in, in, in always. And if so, you'd have people lining up to walk with, with Christ mm -hmm. simply because the physical of everything got better. As a matter of fact, in uh, one of the miracles, and I'm not sure if we're going to cover it in this yeah. one. You, got, you know, Jesus said, "I got to get out of here." Yeah. The, the, uh, matter of fact, when he said, "Y'all get me out on the boat, go to the other side," because the people were going to try to make him king because he fed, he, he took fed care him. of all their needs, yeah. literally all what their needs was. And Christ says, "Okay, I got to go. This is where they're trying to make they're trying to make me into what they have already. Right. I'm not that. I'm trying to show them." what I did for you physically, I'm going to do for you on the inside for your spirit. So then when we get in that realm, life, we can navigate through life a lot differently. We can understand challenges and deal with, with uh, issues that are there, deal with our own proclivities differently while all the time moving toward Christ. And then a second point is that when he drove him into the wilderness, 
It, it, Mark is the only one, I believe, I'm almost positive, Mark is the only one that says that, that he was out there with the wild beast. I believe that's correct. Okay. Yeah. Now, you take anybody who goes out into the wild now, uh, um, they're going to have bear spray, they're going <laughs> to have bear gun, they're going to have all the things they need because they know something wild out there is going to be coming for them. Right. But he was drove out by the Spirit and Mark tells you he was out there with the wild animals and they did not kill him. Mm -hmm. They did not destroy his spirit. They did not stop. So that's our synonymous of being in a world that we don't understand. Right. You know, um, and I think most people understand when we look across the globe, we see some crazy things happening inside of nations from one nation to another. Mark, many, I'm not saying that Mark was looking at this, our problem right now today and oh. saying this, but Mark is, is, is saying this is where Christ is calling us, you know, and, um, and you're going to be good with God. You're going to work. God is ultimately is going to come out of this and he's going to bring you all out of this. And that's what God is trying to do. And if we let God be God and not try to dictate what God is doing in the world, but get in the flow and move of it, then all of a sudden we get in lockstep with God and things start changing around. We change somebody's life this day with this thing that they needed simply because God sent us on that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, by the way, whenever you talk about we read in the Greek, you, I think you already know this. Only one person at this table knows Greek. So, <laughs> so you're going you're gonna to have to do the mining for me. Okay. All right. Um, everything I know about Greek, I know because I go and ask people like you. you. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, bring it up. And there is a frustrating thing about Mark, and that is these stories were so well known he doesn't tell them fully. So we don't get what happened in the temptation. We have to go to the others. Mm -hmm. And here, verse 14, after John was put in prison, we don't hear about Herod and his wife that he wasn't legally allowed to have and Salome and the beheading. And we don't hear, we just know he's in the prison. But this is a very touching thing to me. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So the very thing that got John in trouble, except he did tell Herod, he didn't, that wasn't your wife. You know, he, he was pretty rough on that. But the very thing that got John in trouble, as soon as he's in prison, Jesus walks right into the middle of it, like going into the wild animals or the like. We are called to be good. We are never called to be safe. We're always called to be good. In fact, my wife, whenever I leave home and whenever my son, back when we, he lived at home, left, wouldn't tell us to be safe. She'd say, be good, or she'd say, be dangerous. <laughs> and uh, we said, yep, and, and it, it, it worked. Jesus is never referred to as being nice. He's being referred to as good. And I, I talked about this in a sermon in July, and that is that the, the people of God have to be a combination of steel and velvet. And they have to yeah. learn. It's always a balancing act. But Jesus goes in there and what is his sermon? Same as John's. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, we have just a couple of minutes before we need to shut this one down. But I want you to help me with something here. The kingdom of God has come near. 
if I understand correctly, and correct me if I don't, come near doesn't mean it'll be here any day, but rather it has come close to you. It has arrived. You know, the, the Messiah, the, the anointed one, is right here. So people who are still looking for a meaningful coming of Christ where there will be a kingdom established, and I'm, I'm thinking he's saying, no, we've already got it because you've got me. Is this a time word or is this a proximity word? Do you, do you know offhand? It, 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 is, it is proximity okay. uh, uh, um, more so than it is time. Matter of fact, we're going to pick up a little bit further in yeah. when they were testing Jesus, when the Pharisees were testing him. And then one of them came back and asked Jesus some question. And he, and he's, and he said, ultimately, he told him that you are not far from the kingdom. That is, that is you, correct. You, know, you are not far from the kingdom. Because, because he was saying, you're understanding why I'm, you're understanding me, why I'm mm -hmm. here. Because he said, we, the, the person responded, what you said is talking to Christ. Christ. And, you, and I laugh at it now when I'm thinking, me talking to Christ. And yeah, you, you got this right on, <laughs> on this when he is, you know, yeah. that, that's the way I look at it. But he said, you talked to Christ and he said, you, you know, you're, you're nearer to the kingdom. And in reference to those that were also in that audience. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a, a time thing they were talking about. It was a proximity to him coming, accepting Christ on the inside and saying, you know what? I'm laying down my life for you. And he is my king. Yes. This, this actually, I think Paul does a callback to all of this, the, the facts of this on Mars Hill in the Areopagus whenever he looks at the pagans and he said, and God is not far from any of you. Mm -hmm. You know, they were out there looking and he's going, no, you don't need to go. He's right here. Well, let's pick this up.